you have selected the ninth episode of the Walk and Discipleship podcast, and we are happy you're here. I'm Alan Brace, and my esteemed co-hosts are John Varis and Pastor Tim Barr. We're uh, working through the Discipleship Guide, The Walk, Everyday Spiritual Growth. If you have a guide handy, we are beginning on page 59, chapter 5, uh, on our response to suffering. Uh, we're going to jump right in on the topic, gentlemen. Everyone wants to live with as little suffering as possible, here in our Western world anyway, and particularly here in our Western world. Yet we know we're going to suffer because of sin. So, gentlemen, how is it we as Christians normally respond to that suffering? How, how do we normally do it? John? Well, I guess we are thinking that we would like to avoid, first of all, all, all suffering at all costs. Um, if I am thinking about painkillers and all these kind of, uh, you know, medicines, we just simply would like to avoid it at all costs. And probably the, the second thing would be that um, if, uh, if there is suffering in our lives, we would look at it maybe uh, from a martyr uh, perspective, uh, saying, well, you know, we are just, uh, in a sense, like a victim of, um, of how the Lord guides us in our lives. And so we have to bear our cross. So is a victim, being a victim and claiming that martyrdom, if you will, is that biblical? I mean, is that, is, is that what we're talking about here? No, not at all. Uh, when we are looking at, at, um, at our book and in the Bible, we see that the Lord um, wants us to avoid at all costs these uh, opposite uh, positions. And so uh, we are not to proudly glorify our suffering, but as we will see later, uh, the Lord is asking us something else. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a road, you know, truth is often like a road that has a ditch on both sides. And I think when it comes to suffering, a good theology of suffering is one where we avoid the ditches. On the one side is self-appeasement, and that is anything that makes me happy, anything that makes me feel good, anything that makes me good, that's a ditch. And that's the one our culture lives in. On the other side is one where suffering becomes an idol, um, where people want to, they feel like they're worshiping suffering itself. They, they, it becomes that center of all their thinking. I, I think like a Buddhist monk um, or maybe... Um, some of this training in the martial arts of where they just feel like that the way of suffering is the way to enlightenment. And we want to avoid both those extremes and, and find that biblical center. And I think that's what we're going to try to do in this podcast and the next one. So, so why would, so we as believers, why would we want to have that martyrdom syndrome? I mean, why, and and when do we start with that? Do we start with that before we get saved, or d does this happen at the time we are saved, or does the suffering change at at the time of salvation? I think it's pretty much common in uh, in our human nature. I would say uh, I am thinking, for instance, in the Orthodox Church, that you know they are using basically suffering as uh, as a means to salvation, and so you know they develop these. Uh, ascetic uh, practices uh, so that you know uh, uh, having sufferings in your body uh, causing suffering in your body means that you will clean uh, yourself you'll become clean of your sins and so i guess as you know Bester said 
<clears throat> we find this in a in a Buddhist uh, uh, context, even in a Christian, so-called Christian context. And so, um, yeah. You know, I think part of it is if we were to say how universal is suffering, we'd actually have to go back to Genesis 3. And I love that, that we actually do that in the book here. They take us back to the core problem. And that is that God created a world that was good, so much so that in Hebrew, it's the very good world. And then when sin enters in the world, in Genesis chapter 3, we end up with the curses. And the curse on Adam, which is the, anyone that's a descendant of Adam, which is all of us, you know, we're going to toil, we're going to have the sweat of our brow, we're going to live in a world of suffering. Um, so as we understand this, it doesn't matter what worldview someone has, it doesn't matter where they live, all of us deal with suffering because suffering is the curse. But is it different for a believer? I mean, it would seem to me that, or do we just view things differently as a believer in that, and that the suffering is really the same as the, as the non-believer um, and can, what about these guys who are teaching where, you know, if you're a Christian and a saved person's life, you really should be all blessings and, and happiness and joy and all the other things. How, how do we deal with that? I mean, that's, how do we disciple somebody as they're going through that? But I would say it's just basically uh, helping them to see what the Bible has to say because it looks like they just simply uh, took Genesis 3 out of their um, understanding of suffering. And so if you want to uh, have a pretext for what you want to say, you just simply take out a text out of his, I mean, from his context. And so you have the perfect pretext for whatever you want to say. And so it looks like from that, uh, in that theology, um, yeah, Genesis 3 does not have a, a place. So our best life is not here and now, huh? Absolutely not. You know, and yet, I'm going to push back a wee bit on the best life thing. Um, I, so if, if just to take, like, I believe it's Westminster Catechism. I'm going to just slightly off on how it says it. Um, but everything we do is for God's glory and our greatest good. And so when people say, are we living the best life we could now? My answer is, if you're a born-again Christian and you're following God's will, you honestly are living for God's glory, and that is the best possible life that you could live. The question I think that sits in front of us is, does the best possible life we live include suffering? And see, when we think about that, we have a wrong definition of what makes life good. And I think that's where we have to engage if we're really going to get to the heart of this. I think that's, uh, we've, we run across that quite often in scripture where, you know, life is unfair or, you know, you think of Joseph uh, having just been through the book of Genesis <clears throat> you look, think of the life of Joseph and how unfair is that, you know, well, by whose measure is it unfair? Is it God's plan that uh, is unfair or is it by your definition that it's unfair? Is that and I think suffering by trying to measure how much you're suffering is really that sort of thing where you have to decide whose measuring stick you're using. No, I would hop on that, that if, if you hit it right on the head, because we live in a world of the radicalization of self and the worship of self. So for us, if the individual feels like they're being harmed or not getting pampered or they're not getting exactly what the individual wants, in America, we assume that is suffering. 
Um, but what that is, is simply living in a real world. Okay. In a right. sin cursed world, we're all going to suffer. We're all going to get sick. We're all going to eventually struggle economically. Things are going to get tough. Right. Um, so the question is, does that have meaning? Okay. Right. Right. Is there a purpose to any of this? Right. Is it better to have suffered for something that matters than to be pampered for something that doesn't? And I think they're the questions that our culture is wrestling with in fascinating ways, but the Bible actually gives us a really profitable way forward. Well, and perhaps that's, uh, that's why people think that our country is in such dire conditions when you real, at least as it pertains to our, uh, to Christians and faith. And you realize that in majority of the world, they already are well beyond us in the suffering mode. Hey, John, um, Anya grew up in Moldova, right? Yes. Um, in Moldova, just the culture, it just economically in so many ways is so different than ours. Um, do people in a place like that still complain? Um, they, well, you know, we, they have like a different understanding of suffering than, um, you know, is here in the United States. And so, um, yeah, depending on the measure stick, the measuring stick. And um, um, so what would be called here suffering and maybe persecution in a sense, uh, they would definitely not be considering that a persecution. And so I'm just thinking how it used to be um before uh, 1990 or 1991 when you know the uh, russian uh, federation uh, fell and so uh, i'm just thinking about the price that was paid for uh, for their faith and for our faith actually and so what is happening today which it's encouraging in a sense it could be a good example for us related about how to deal with suffering if the lord will allow us uh, it will allow us to suffer here in the west so, you know, I was just thinking of First Peter four twelve, beloved. Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Um, in America, we feel like we are we have these religious liberties, which I'm very thankful for. Mm -hmm. But we feel like the religious liberties pr will protect us from fiery trials. And I want to say, if that is our view of religious liberty, we are totally wrong because the Bible says we should expect that trials are going to be part of our lives and we, we don't get to hide from them. And yeah, I, I agree, brother. I think of some of the believers that suffered underneath the USSR um, and the persecutions um, that especially those who ended up in some of the camps and things like that. And all this, the torture they went through, and we would sit there and say, now, man, that's a huge encouragement to us. We see their faith on display, um, but they understood that that was not a strange thing. That's more the norm. We're living in a strange day. So the first part, let's see if I can summarize this a little bit and and. Correct me if I, I'm, I'm off the rails a little. But the first part of a Christian's response to suffering is really to understand that it's going to happen. Is that safe to say? I mean, is that, that's the first step, correct? So how do, we, how do we incorporate Paul's response to his own suffering 
and why he could have joy and hope in the middle of all of that. Why, how do we, how do we incorporate that in our modern day? How do we, how do we see that uh, from Paul's perspective? It's very interesting that Paul, when looks at himself and uh, at his situation, he has an, a, a great statement and a great insight in the middle of suffering. And uh, Paul is saying in, in verse 9 about the Lord that his power is made perfect in weakness. And so through his weakness and our weakness, if uh, we are to suffer, uh, there is actually a great opportunity um, to to be seen in our lives, God's great power. And the fact, and a good reminder for us that we are actually weak. Um, well, his grace know, is sufficient. I, you're talking about uh, 2 Corinthians 12 here. And, okay. and in, uh, yeah, in verse 9, and, his, my grace, he, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And uh, that's a, it's an interesting thought that, that when we are at our weakest, God's, God is, is giving us his greatness to maximum. You know, I, I was thinking of 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And I just want to draw that contrast out because when you talk about we all suffer, many of the people listening are not going to end up in a concentration camp or something like that. But what is true is all of us experience our outward man perishing day by day. We all get older. And as we get older, things hurt. They, they hurt more. They hurt more often, right? Sickness seems to take us a lot longer to get healthy from. I mean, this is the world in which we live. And Paul was able to, to understand even physical sickness, which is on this hierarchy of things that we suffer pretty low, Right. Right. He was able to look at that and say, when my body is perishing on the outside, he said, my inside, my spirit, the inward is being made alive every single day. Now, that helps me understand that we can have that Paul's theology of suffering is that there is benefit to a believer when going through suffering. And that is, while the external is harmed, the internal has a greater environment for spiritual growth. That's an interesting way to put it. And, and I think that's an important point for those who are discipling someone. to And, and that person is going through a, a time, a season of suffering. That's an important thing to point out, that while we are being buffeted and harmed on the outside, it's a way for, as, uh, as James chapter 1 says, it's a way for us to build endurance, spiritual endurance. And, uh, and ultimately, that's what God wants us to do, is to resolve to mature during the suffering. And I think that's an important point that we have to make with those whom we are discipling, that expect to be suffering, expect to uh, experience suffering, I should say, and look at it as a way for uh, for God's grace to work on us internally, to mature us, and to build endurance for the next round of suffering, because you know it's going to continue. You know, I was talking to a runner just the little, about a week ago, and I run a little bit, but I'm not like a great runner. Um, but we were talking about the mental clock in our head, 
Okay. Um, and if anyone's ever ran, you know that early in running, the hardest part of running is just getting your body, you know, into shape. But in any distance running, the biggest battle is in between your ears, not your legs. It is this constant thought of, I'm all, I just can't go any further. I must have run too long. Um, I'm not breathing right. Right. There's all this mental game going on. And what the actual run does is it trains our thinking as much as it trains the body. And I want to say that same dynamic is true in suffering in our spiritual life. And that is we go through trials and what we often focus on is the external trial. We're focused on the cancer. We're focused on all these other things. But what is really happening is God is training our mind and our spirit. He's, he's shaping our affections. But they wouldn't get shaped without the other trial. It's just part of it. So, John, where does, where does our church fit into that? I mean, certainly... Uh, as a believer, you were, were supposed to be involved in a in a local church and and have a church family, be part of the congregation. How does what what role should they play? Should because you know there are those of us who suffer, and I'm sure that that don't really want people to know that we're going through a really rough time, and sometimes it's somewhat personal. So so what role should the church play in that? And and how do we how do we as church members? Uh, handle that? How do we help people through their, their times of suffering? Great question. Um, being in a good church is such a blessing. And to be surrounded by people, by faithful people who've been maybe through sufferings, um, who have already experienced what we might experience in our suffering. And um, I'm just thinking about the value of discipleship and um, the investment that church members, together with the leadership of the church, uh, could have in the lives of those in suffering. And the, I'm just thinking, for instance, the way the book is emphasizing uh, one way the church could be involved in, in, a, in, a, in, in the life of somebody who is in suffering is to help them grow, uh, to help them edify by praying for them, having fellowship with them. By Sometimes I'm just thinking in suffering, it's just so useful just simply to talk, just simply to to be a good listener, um, perhaps in difficult trials, maybe somebody lost a beloved one. Probably the best thing would be for, uh, in these cases, for, for some of us, is just simply just be there for them. You know, Just listen to what they have to say, pray for them. And so this could be some of the roles that the church could have. Yeah, our book mentioned James 5 a couple of different times. And I realize James is one of the earliest books written in the New Testament. So there is some transitional elements to the book um, in, in terms. So we get to James 5. Um, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Uh, this, my interpretation of anointing with oil, that was the medicine of the day. All right. So he says, hey, if you're sick, take your medicine, but don't trust in the medicine. It's the prayer of the faith that will save the sick. And so I would just say a couple of things I would add. We want to make sure that every time we come to someone that's hurting, we bring that which is eternal to it. And, and boy, when you pray, you we are asking an eternal God to hear our prayer and answer. 
when we sing, what are we doing? We're bringing our theology and the gospel, which is eternal. Um, and we're bringing Psalms, which are part of the word of God, which are eternal. We're bringing it to bear on the temporal. And, but in all these cases, what is it that heals? It, it's not the eternal alone. It is the prayer of faith that saves the sick. So what I'm affirming is the source of our healing, the source of our hope is always that which is eternal. But we have to have faith and trust. That is the means by which we connect to that which is eternal. And so I think it's really super important in the midst of suffering that we think in terms of we are reaching out to an eternal God, to the gospel. That is our source. And faith is absolutely we got to build at those moments. I know in uh, probably in the next podcast and episode 10, we're probably going to talk about our, uh, you know, what our response should be or what is the purpose for suffering. But I think it's appropriate here to, to mention that those of us who have suffered uh, and everybody has, you, you bring a unique experience. You, you bring a unique perspective how God worked in your life through that suffering and that through the local church, you that's your opportunity to help others who are perhaps going through something similar and uh, and i think that is a a role of people who refuse to be involved in church or be involved in other people's lives really miss out on because that is a blessing to be able to help someone else because you know what i've been there i experienced that john isn't this why we need old older people in our churches i mean everybody wants this young hip church these days but i so honestly why we need old folks in churches Absolutely, because the church is not just young people or only uh, middle-aged people. is for everyone. And uh, I, I would love to see, in general speaking, you know, to see our churches that uh, who are focused on the entire church or the needs of the entire church, not just uh, the needs, for instance, uh, of the youth. Yeah, because you think about this. Young people, they come across trials, and sometimes if the only thing they could do is look around at people that are their age – their entire um, council base is largely naive to suffering. But you bring an older person in who has maybe grandchildren and they're able to sit there and say, hey, we dealt with this. My children have dealt with this. I want to let you know there's hope on the other end of this trial, right? You are not the first one that thought your child will never, ever, ever potty train. All right. <laughs> there is the possibility that this is going to happen. All right. For you. But along the way, you're going to learn a lot about anger. Uh, you're going to learn a lot about patience. You're going to learn a lot about love, right? Um, that's where having that biblical counsel of the whole body, uh, multi-generational, I think can really be helpful. Well, you know, as, as we are encouraged, uh, the body is, the church body is made up of multiple parts. We each bring something to the table. I do have to comment, though, that uh, as a grandparent, um, when you watch your kids struggling with potty training, you, you have to chuckle for a minute before you begin to help them out. You know, it's, that's just part of the deal. So <laughs> hey, just think about this in our, in the book on page 61, it talks about the different areas where we suffer. I don't know what they call them. Uh, but I, I liked it because it came right out of first Peter. Um, uh, there's suffering in the workplace, suffering that can occur in the home, suffering at the hands of unsafe, of unsafe friends who continue to walk in a way that you did before conversion. There's the incessant onslaught of satanic suffering, right? 
what I like that list because it reminds me that as a Christian, we're going to battle in, in suffer in our houses, at work, in our general relationships with friends we've known for years. We're in a spiritual warfare. Um, so that, that tells me that I would expect to be in a battle all the time, right? I'm going to suffer all over my life. And of course, the, the, at the end of the day, we are really called to be faithful to this, even though we are, we are suffering and, and we are learning, we're growing in grace and, and our faith is growing. We are still called to be faithful to it. And, and I'm, I'm looking at page 65 in our book and, and Paul gives the Philippians a couple of examples of, uh, and a couple of specific things that he wanted them to do in verse 27 of uh, Philippians chapter one, it says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. So we are going to face suffering from all quarters, from all sides. And yet, we are still asked to be faithful. Yeah. And let me ask you this, because you're the older, wiser among us here. Um, older only. Yeah. I don't know about that. Uh, so how do we handle it that we can sometimes suffer in certain areas and like be really strong, but then there's these other parts of our lives where we really feel like that's where we always fall. What would have, what do, how does someone deal with the areas where we're weak? Well, that is at least what I have tried to do is I have looked at the areas that I know I am deficient in and spend a good deal of time studying God's word in those areas, trying to understand what it is he's telling me and then memorizing that so that it's in my head. Uh, So when that suffering does come, I am reminded of what the Bible tells me here's how your response is supposed to be. This is what you're supposed to be doing when you are faced with this type of suffering. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sit against you, right? How what, often what a great encouragement that, that was to me. Uh, but Because that's exactly where our hope is. Our hope, for anyone that's listening to this, I just want to say our hope is not in us just bulking up, getting tougher, getting more committed. No, our hope is humbly admitting that we struggle in an area go into God's word, trusting in his word and the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's our hope, right? And exactly, exactly. And I, and I think, um, I think if you, all you do is quote scripture, however, and not really understand what that scripture is saying. Um, sometimes you're just quoting scripture, but if you, you need to hide it in your heart, which means you've studied it, you've looked at it, you've internalized it. So and Paul um, has, has more or less said that, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel uh, and do what the Bible tells us to do and stand firm. That's, those are the things that, we're, that Paul is instructing us to do from Philippians chapter 1. All right, I'm going to give you one from James because it's it just a, we're almost out of time. But James 519, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Amen. Um, we don't do it alone. We do it with the word of God. But can I just say to all of you that are involved in mentoring someone right now, 
when you come alongside as someone that is struggling in sin and they turn from the sin and they turn back to the Lord, know that that is so incredibly important. And if you're here and you're listening to us and you're saying, man, I'm struggling, we just want to come alongside of you and say, let the word of God turn you from your sin, um, turn you back to trust and faith. If you're beaten down and just hurt from the world around you, know you got a loving Heavenly Father, trust in him. Honestly, it's never easy, right? But we can't quit. Exactly. Well, thank you for joining us on The Walk and Discipleship. We trust that you've been able to give, uh, we've been able to give you some things to think about as you encounter suffering in your life. Uh, we encourage you to memorize scripture, as we said before, memorizing scripture, hiding God's word in your heart, understanding those verses and, and applying them to your what you're going through, uh, memorizing scriptures where it's at. Uh, and also we, as Pastor Tim just said, Pray for your those you are mentoring, those who are discipling. Um, we can't emphasize that enough. That's that that God would work in their lives, that they would find joy in His Word, and we would encourage you to consider how Paul responded to suffering. He used it to encourage others, uh, keeping in mind that we're to walk in a way that is worthy of the gospel, and that we should stand firm in our faith to set an example for others to follow. Well, next time we'll continue to talk about the theme of suffering and why it happens to us. So until next time, for John and Pastor Tim, I'm Alan. So long. Mm-hmm.